afternoon and uh, welcome to Talking Seniors, uh, the podcast of Ania Scanlon and Sirignano, LLP of White Plains, New York, uh, with offices also in Somers, New York. Uh, we are an elder law boutique firm in White Plains. I've been practicing law uh, since 1986. I am the managing member of the firm. And today we have as our guest, Eileen Corina, who is the president and founder of the Pulse Center for Patient Safety Education and Advocacy. Uh, Pulse was started in 1996 as a support, support group for individuals who had had you know, problems with the healthcare system and perhaps had suffered injuries because of the healthcare system. So Eileen, very nice to have you with us today uh, on this podcast, Talking Seniors, because we're always talking about things that are of great relevance to seniors. So tell us a little bit about the Pulse Center and why you started the Pulse Center for Patient Safety and Advocacy. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, the Pulse was started because originally the death of my young son from a tonsillectomy. And uh, I realized that after his death, nobody was asking me what went wrong and what happened. And as I started doing research on patient care and patient safety and medical errors, I found that there were a lot of people that had poor outcomes in their medical care that weren't talking about it. Um, I, I was very passionate about um, talking about the experience, not in a, in a, um, a way to, to be accusatory because people make mistakes. And I wanted to be empathetic to my doctor, my son's doctor, because I liked him but yet he wouldn't talk to me either about what went wrong. So in my frustration, I started finding more people that shared the same frustration and then realized our stories could lead into education, patient safety education. And that's what we did with our support groups, survivors of medical injuries. We would talk about our experiences in a way that we can help others. Um, sorry for your loss. That's obviously a horrific story to a tonsillectomy, which is considered a very simple procedure to loss, to lose a young child with that um, must have been devastating. And again, uh, please accept my condolences. Um, but I think you're onto something because you said the doctor wouldn't give you an explanation as to what happened. Obviously, for malpractice reasons, he was not speaking. So. It, from your position and from the position of your group, I think you're really looking to educate people about some of the issues they need to have addressed before they start having a procedure, right? I think that is the, the, the primary focus is to be proactive and to be preemptive of having a problem by becoming informed and learning about the procedure and the potential consequences before it happens. True. At every moment we step into the healthcare system, very often we're stepping into uncharted ter territory for the patient, which who isn't really not a patient until we step into the, the healthcare system. So if we go into um, medication, for instance, you, you get medication and there's, there's a lot of potential for errors in medication if you're getting a diagnosis and um, you get the diagnosis and it's actually a medication side effect and we're not sharing that information appropriately, that could be a whole series of errors in, 
and uh, problems that happen in the healthcare system, and especially for older adults. So, uh, you know, this is such a timely issue that we're talking about medical care and problems that happen with older adults because one of the things people from um, previous, and I'm one of the older adults now, but one of the issues that come up is that people who are from a generation before me don't want to question their doctor, don't want to question what they're given um, and what happens. And we're trying to humanize medical care and humanize the clinician so we can talk to them as if they're, we're talking to anyone in any, any position um, of authority, but also in partnership and um, their knowledge. But we, we're the customer. The patient is the customer. So how do you accomplish this? I mean, how does, how does the consumer come to you and be educated? So let's say, for example, I'm going to have a colonoscopy, right? And I, and I contact the Pulse Center and say, look, I'm 62 years old and I'm going for a colonoscopy. What are the questions I should be asking? What are the things that I should be concerned about in going through this procedure? And how would you help me? Well, we always look for, because we don't do long-term patient advocacy, and our focus is, is primarily on safety, not only, but primarily on safety. The first thing we do is we work with families. So our, we do a program called Family-Centered Patient Advocacy. So I would ask you about who you're going to be, who's going to go with you. I'm going to ask you about um, why are you bringing that person with you? And what are their qualifications to being your support person? Because truth is, we don't all have a favorite support person. We have somebody that we love the most, but not the person that's going to help us the most. I'll talk about your um, advanced directives, your healthcare proxy form. Primarily, we focus on the healthcare proxy because that's something that in, in the hospital or doctor's office, they're going to ask you about without ever asking you if you had a discussion with the person who you want to make decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself. And that could be very temporarily. It doesn't have to be end of life care, which a lot of people think if somebody's gonna talk for me because I can't speak for myself, it's because I'm gonna die. And that's not true. And we've proven that over the past time with, with COVID, people on the ventilator, every one of them can't speak for themselves. So that preparation we wanna talk about the person who's going to take notes for them and ask the doctor questions. And very importantly, afterwards, what signs to look for? People have their colon punctured during a colonoscopy. And I'm not going to say it's common, but it's not completely unheard of. What are those symptoms? Just like if somebody told me what to look for and what could be deadly, a child bleeding for eight days with a tonsillectomy. If somebody even put in my mind that my son can die from that, I might have taken it more seriously where five visits to the emergency room, everyone told me, don't worry. So anytime a person is going for a procedure, we want to make sure they don't hear the words, don't worry, because don't worry kind of means don't, um, don't ask me any more questions. And it should be, here's the answer to your question. And you have a right to be concerned because there could be complications. And we want people to know what to look for ahead of time, what to look for afterwards. And of course, during we're limited because we're asleep during the procedure. Uh, important. I mean, obviously, as an elder law attorney and estate planning attorney, we prepare healthcare proxies, advanced directives all the time. We do the HIPAA form to release medical, hospital, uh, alcohol treatment, psychiatric treatment, drug abuse treatment records. We prepare those for our clients. But it is important that everybody have a conversation 
with the agent that they're appointing about what their wishes are, you know, what they want to be done. For example, end of life scenario. Do they want to be on a ventilator? Do they want to be intubated? Do they want nasogastric tubal feeding? And these are important issues. So in essence, you tell, the, you advise the patient about what they should be thinking of before they go in to have the procedure, right? Who's going to be with them at the hospital? Why are they bringing this person with them? What are their, you know, what are their redeeming qualities that make them critical to be there? Are they calm under pressure? Do they know what your healthcare wishes are? And obviously there are, you know, different levels of procedures. I mean, if I'm going in for heart surgery, it's one thing. If I'm going in for, you know, a hangnail, it's it's completely different. So uh, I would say to you that, you know, it sounds like to me, this is really preventative stuff, what you're talking about. It absolutely is. If we can't prevent these errors from happening, then we have a, a big problem. Medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the country. Those are not my studies. Those are from Johns Hopkins um, study that have done this. And, and all the studies that we have read and we find, and I'm passionate about reading these studies and being part of the conferences and the education that healthcare providers get in patient safety so we can share this information. But if those are the studies and the research that's done, then we must be more prepared to be getting into the healthcare system. And we can't leave it to the healthcare professionals, especially now that they're understaffed, they're overworked. And if something goes wrong, 100% of the blame is gonna go on the medical team. And that's what we're trying to avoid. You can't, and I, I try to compare it to if, if I run into somebody, if I'm driving my car, somebody runs in front of my car and I hit them with my car, I'm at fault. But they had some responsibility to look both ways. So I have to take complete responsibility for the injury or their death. But why would I need to do that if they were trained and they knew to look both ways and they did what they know to do? So that's what we're focusing on. It's making this a, a two-way relationship where the patient and family have some responsibility to their own safety. Uh, I think it's uh, extremely important that they do that. And, and again, I hate to, you know, use an old cliche, but the educated consumer is the best customer. I mean, uh, we all remember the old Cy Sims commercials. And I always feel that that's what I try to do in my practice is to educate the consumer. I just don't tell you this is what I recommend. I tell you why I recommend it and go into detail as to why. And that should really be what a doctor tells you too, right? A doctor or a healthcare professional should say, look, I'm suggesting that you have this procedure and these are the pros and cons of the procedure. And I think you're right. They do focus a great deal on the pros of the procedure and they kind of seem to overshadow the cons. They never really go into detail about the reasons why you may not want to have the procedure. What are the, what are the potential pitfalls of having the procedure or the treatment? And I think it's you know inherent in their nature. They want you to do things that are good for you. They obviously they're not going to recommend a procedure for you just for the heck of it. I don't think doctors do that. I don't believe that. I think they have a medical reason for wanting to have that procedure done. And many times it could be to avoid malpractice on their part. Right? They want to make sure that they can't be held liable for having missed something. And, and to a large extent, you know, that's the responsibility of the system that we've created. 
you know, where we're a highly litigious society, you know, so a doctor feels almost defenseless. So that, again, I don't know how they think, but they say to themselves, hey, if, if I should be doing X, Y, and Z and recommending X, Y, and Z, and I, then I don't do it, even though I don't really necessarily think X, Y, and Z need to be done 100%, I could be later, later questioned because I didn't do it. I didn't recommend it. Right. And I think, um, ironically, that you say that in a highly litigious society, but I, I want to be careful with that because the public has no idea of what else they could do when something goes wrong and they don't get answers. And this is going back. My situation is 30 years old and it's right. still so, so similar. It's a completely different world now than it was 30 years ago. I mean, right. And, and sometimes they do get answers, but how else are you supposed to get answers? You go to an attorney and you find out, and, and studies have been that only one out of eight people who actually could sue for medical injury do sue. So it, it's so difficult, especially with seniors, to prove that their illness didn't kill them or there's something else, they didn't die or were injured from something else. So we want to be really careful of being able to, to question what happened? How do we get the information? How do we get the answers? And we're not talking about criminal behavior. We're talking about errors and injuries and accidents, things that can go wrong in such a, a wow. tender place and vulnerable. Um, well, we, we, forget, we forget that doctors are humans and mm -hmm. they can make mistakes. Doctors, nurses are all humans and they make mistakes. You know? and some of that, I believe, is because we're not taught as public of what mistakes can happen and how mistakes do happen. And if we understood how they can happen, we could play a better role in avoiding them. And I just want to go back to something else that you were saying that the recommendation of what a doctor will tell us to do, whether it's surgery or something else, is they only know what they know. And you're not going to go to a chiropractor and talk about surgery. They're going to, they may even try to talk you out of surgery because they have other ways of doing things. Right. If you're set on getting surgery done, then you need to find a surgeon who thinks the way you think and, and agrees with what you're looking at and willing to make it a partnership and have a conversation about what the patient wants. You get somebody who's 95 years old and wants surgery on their hip. Some doctors will say, you're, no. you're a chipper and you might, you know, maybe you can do this and you have another five years. And some may say, no way, I'm not touching you. It's yeah, that, because of the concern of, you know, surviving the surgery. I mean, uh, you know, sure. whenever, anytime you're talking about someone of advanced age or someone that has underlying conditions and, and virtually every 95 year old would have an underlying condition. It's like yesterday, the sad news about Colin Powell, right? We all heard about that he passed away and that he was vaccinated and the, that he had COVID. But it wasn't for many hours until we heard that he was suffering from multiple myeloma, was being treated for a blood cancer, and also was suffering from Parkinson's disease. So there's so many bits of information that you need to know when treating a patient that you know the doctor who's making a recommendation would, would definitely make that recommendation based on the individual's condition. And that's important. So do you help clients find doctors? Um, well, we don't refer doctors. We, right. we share the doctors that work with us. We have a great um, you know, support system of clinicians who will advise. Uh, if, if somebody wants information, I have people I can go to with that information. And they're listed either on our website or we, we list them as um, sponsors. Um, as um, advisors to our organization, because we can't do this alone. 
So, uh, you know, of course, it's not medical advice. It's information that we could share where to look for information. What are some of the things that they could look for? We have reached out in the past when people have very complicated conditions. I've reached out and some doctors have seen patients because they were such a unique case. They were willing to see them. And of course, we, we can never say one doctor's better than another, one hospital's better than another. No, there's because no way to, there's no way to do that. You know, that's that is such a subjective thing. It's just like rating lawyers. Mm-hmm. It's very subjective. And what I would say, though, it sounds to me is that you're like a source of information, right? That you're like this hub that the consumer can go to and say, look, I'm going to be having this procedure uh, next month. Can you give me information about the pros and cons of this procedure? Uh, what alternatives there are? And uh, you know anything that will help me make the decision about whether or not to have the procedure. And that's real close to medical advice, and we stay away right. from that. We, we, I could help somebody find online what, what information or what questions they have about the procedure, um, help them understand why they didn't go to their doctor with these questions, and understand, uh, you know, these but, are the but do, you, do you tell Do you tell the patient what are the kinds of questions they should be asking? Absolutely, sure. We would. That's talk not medical that, advice. Yeah. I mean, that's... right, right. Right. I, I, but I wouldn't try to talk them in or out of a procedure or what can go, everything that can go wrong. Uh, and remember, there's a consent form. People don't understand what the consent form is. So when they sign this consent form saying that they, the consent form is not saying that they understand the procedure and they understand what can go wrong. The consent form is a document, a legal document that says that they were explained the information. So it doesn't mean that they understood it. It means the doctor told them about the procedure and the information, um, what can go wrong or what the pros and cons are, like you said earlier, but it doesn't mean that the patient understood it. And that's when they sign that blindly sometimes yeah. without reading it or without knowing what they're signing, it could be a problem later on. That's, but that's always, a, that's always a problem in any case, right? The, you know, as a professional, we can impart information to individuals. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that individual is truly a, absorbing that information and able to analyze it analytically and to take that information and utilize it for their own needs, that is impossible to gauge. I mean, you could have a client sitting in front of you and I could be describing the most complex provisions of a trust and the client will be saying, yes, I understand. Yes, I understand. But what am I going to do? Give them a test to see if they really understood it? I mean, that's it's, you know, so you could tell that certain clients get it and some clients do get it eventually. They, you know, they absorb the information. And I would sense that a doctor is in the same position that, you know, he talks to people of various intellectual abilities and not everybody is going to absorb it. Now, maybe there should be somebody there who can communicate with the patient to maybe get them to understand a little bit more about the procedure because you know there's always language gaps there's intellectual gaps etc and again when you're dealing with seniors i think it's a much much more trickier area absolutely and and truthfully we want to be careful that um that somebody goes with them to the doctor or or the lawyer whoever they're going who's going to help them to say stop i don't understand this or i need more information or um in healthcare there's something called teach back where um, when I'm with a client, I will say, did you hear Did you hear what they said? Could you repeat back 
what you heard them say. And I often will say it first because I want to make sure that they don't feel stupid or if they feel that they're inferior because they didn't understand it. So I might say to the doctor, can I just repeat back what I think I heard you say? And in my own language, be able to repeat back and then tell the patient they could do that also next time. But it's very, we have to be very careful to um, to remember that people who every field of work, there is a language of their own. And I, I like to ask when I speak at medical conferences, I always ask the audience, how many people know the difference between registered mail and certified mail? Well, working in the post office for many years, it was my job to explain to the doctor how to mail a letter. And they did not feel inferior. I did not feel empowered because I knew that, but it's because that was my job. So to be able to slow a doctor down and say, what is the difference in a CAT scan and an MRI? What does MRI mean? It's not something to feel uncomfortable about. It's something to feel empowered with being able to do that. Well, knowledge does empower people. There's no question about it. The the more you know, the more empowered you are. I mean, it goes hand in hand. So is there anything else you want to tell us about your group? I mean, and how you work and how you operate? And- well, I do want to share one thing now with the limited uh, visiting time and, and um, working with the adults that you work with, the um, seniors that you work with, maybe. And if there's families who are uh, distant, they're older children, because I'll do visits with, you know, to nursing homes or hospitals. But now we're doing a lot we call remote advocacy, where a patient or person can have a phone opens at all times, not call when you get to the doctor, because the doctor's not going to wait for that phone call, you know, if you, to get the family member on the phone. But when the adult um, or parent goes into the hospital or into the doctor's office to leave their phone open at all times, so at, with, their, with their, their charger, so their adult child can listen in on all conversations when a nurse or doctor walk in the room. And this is with the consent of the doctor, obviously. Well, I don't know how you would need that. You, you, you don't want anyone to hide it. You want to be able to say, my daughter's on the phone and she's listening in and taking notes. So it's not something to well, hide. That is a, an excellent idea. That's an excellent idea that should be really used that, you know, say to the doctor, do you mind if I put my daughter on the phone so she can listen in to what's going on? Because my English is limited, whatever the case may be. It, it should be. And my, or my memory is limited. I don't remember as well as I used to remember. We don't remember what we remember and what we don't. So it's automatic. If she can't be sitting there, if the daughter can't be sitting there. And again, it it wouldn't be, can I get her on the phone? Because the doctor might say, I don't have time to wait. They very often do that. Um, And I do a lot of bedside advocacy. So I've seen this over and over. It would be my daughter is on the phone and not ask permission. We have to stop asking permission for to have somebody to be there to take notes and ask questions. So my daughter's on the phone. And, and she's going to ask some questions and listen in. It could be on a visual. It could be, the camera could be on. So it's not asking permission. It's letting them know that I have a friend or family member listening in to ask the questions. And again, if it's, when doctors come in at five o'clock in the morning to do rounds before their regular hours, it's very difficult to, to call somebody and hope that they're on the phone. So I have slept with the phone next to me. My camera's off. I'm on mute. But I hear when the doctor or nurse walks in the patient's room and then I'm up and say, um, hi, I'm here listening in. Who's the medication for? So it's a safety, but it's also our rights to have somebody with us. And we're limited now. And, and I, yeah, of course, obviously now with COVID, there's a lot of restrictions on visitation in hospitals, nursing homes even assisted living facilities. But I think the one thing that you're touching on is that 
you know, we live in a society today where there is no longer a nuclear family. Uh, families don't live in the same neighborhood that they lived in when they were growing up. You have, you know, people living all over the country and all over the world. And as one ages, they really don't have an advocate. They don't have somebody there by their side advocating for them and helping them, you know, go through this myriad of complex medical information that they're being bombarded with, especially when they have certain conditions. So having a patient advocate sounds like a fantastic idea to me. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you to the Pulse Center for Patient Safety Education and Advocacy. And I, Elena, if you would like to give your contact information, that would be great. Sure. Our, our website is pulsecenterforpatientsafety.org. And my phone number is 516-579-4711. And I'd love to hear from people. We will get back to you if we can help in any way. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us on Talking Seniors today. I think uh, my audience learned a lot today about patient advocacy and safety. Uh, there's Thanks. much to be known. Thank you.